with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again on Community Radio 3CR. Think Again is produced by Borderlands Cooperative. We have been about positive social change for meanwhile 23, 25, oh my goodness, 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet and Jennifer has another day off today. I'm talking with Hang Te Nguyen, General Practitioner and Medical and Cultural Educator. Welcome to Think Again, Hang. Oh, hi, Jacques. Glad to be here. Good Currently, morning to I'm you. I'm talking to you on the land of the Eastern Ma and the Wandjarung people along the Great Ocean Road. So glad to be here. Thank you. Today we're talking again about health. Indeed, for many of us, the COVID pandemic has represented a bit of a wake-up call that not all was and still is not well in the ways in which we try to keep healthy in our so-called developed societies and communities. The rather tenacious hold of COVID on our individual lives and on the health systems of about every country in the world for now, meanwhile, three years, has clearly shown how unprepared we all are and how much our health systems, on which we have come to rely, seem intent at keeping us in that unpreparedness. In fact, we seem a long way away from the worldwide Health for All and Healthy Cities, WHO, campaigns of the 80s and the 90s. I talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, with David Legg. And we could do probably with some inspiration. Indeed, late November, uh, David talked to me about his involvement in the community development in health program in during the 80s and the 90s, and about his present work in the people's health movement. He reminded us all how the advent of neoliberalism during the 80s aided and abetted in the demise of community-based approaches to health in which health had become almost like a joint endeavour between state and community. At the end of the interview, I did a bit of a commercial for the last issue of our new community journal, which was about getting community development back into practical approaches to health and to well-being. Another contributor to that journal issue is now on the line with me for another conversation about health and community. So, welcome again to the programme, Hang. Dr. Hang Te Nguyen has a long story to tell about his involvement and activism in health and community. He is a general practitioner and a medical and cultural educator, and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners named him GP of the Year in 2021. And he has just received another award for his work with Aboriginal communities. So, to start off, Hung, a bit of your background. Could you share with our listeners when, how and where your involvement with health started and what the historical and political and practical context of that involvement have been? Sure. 
It's really, um, really interesting to reflect back on um, all those years. And it's hard to know where, you know, the passion and the skills for community health started. But I can remember as a medical student, I played a very small role in a drug education project. And this led uh, was led by a group of young Vietnamese. And the involvement taught me that uh, the community, that is my community, uh, in the Vietnamese community, and its young people in particular, knew best when it comes to issues around drug use in our community and how the issues need to be tackled in a cultural appropriate way. You know, after that, I, I did uh, find myself on a placement in remote Aboriginal health, uh, which really changed my career trajectory. I worked with the Pintabee people of the Gibson Desert. This is about 600 kilometres due west of Alice Springs. Taught me about community resilience, um, how government policies uh, impact on the social, cultural and community well-being and reminded me that I was really an intruder in their, on their lands and in their community. Uh, and that stayed with me for a long time when working with community. Um, when I was a fully-fledged uh, doctor uh, and training as a registrar, I went to another community in East Arnhem uh, working with the Nguyen people in the Gulf of um, Carpentaria. Uh, um, we did a whole community project at that time. It's called uh, to, tack to, to Tackle Anemia in Kids Number 5. Uh, this was identified by the community as the most important health issue in the community. It was just a completely different perspective from mine as a GP registrar at the time. Um, thus, it introduced me to the concepts of co-design, community-led and community development. Um, it uh, allowed me to understand how important it was to have a deep respect for how community structures and politics work, uh, how seeking alliance with the leadership is so important for the success of any project. In fact, the alliance with the different leaderships in the community ensure a successful project uh, that finish on time and the community own the outcomes with pride. That's mm -hmm. really important um, initial project for me as a, mm -hmm. as a doctor. Mm -hmm. I then moved to a place um, in the Tanami Desert working with wealthy people. And uh, we did a chronic disease self-management project there. This project really drives home for me that as GPs, we often focus on things that is not a primary concern for patients when dealing with their well-being. There were so many people whose engagement with health care and medical care could only occur if we attended to their social situation, their social needs. Mm. I can I can name lots of cases where the project the project actually introduced a tool that helped help professional address social and cultural issues, so not just the medical issues. In one case, we had um, we had to address a woman's sense of pride in having clean clothes, mm -hmm. or, or address her shame of wearing smelly clothes. Only when we dealt with that issue um, did we, um, and we dealt with it by uh, getting a washing machine for her. Just a simple thing like that. Only even once we've done that, we will we able to engage her in her diabetes mm, care. Mm, this mm. sounds really simple, but you know how many doctors are willing to talk about matters, mm -hmm. uh, you know things that matters to patients in their social context. Mm. We don't really, and yeah. we engage patients in what we are comfortable with, which is the medical problem and mm. medication. Mm. So I think all these experiences really impact on my view primarily healthcare and community development approach to yeah. health outcomes. Yeah. Mm, thank you for that. That's really, really important. And it reminds me of some of my own experiences when I was working in Congo in the, in the late 60s. Yeah. 
Your, your article in the New Community Journal was titled Reflections on Community Development in Primary Healthcare, and you already referred to that a bit. And I'd really like our listeners to get a better understanding of that connection, really. In the previous program with David Legg, we talked about one local health centre's work in Melbourne in this area. So it would be great to hear your understanding and experience with this approach, a little bit continuing what you were already doing before. Mm. Yeah, look, the first thing to note is that um, as a GP, um, uh, a GP really is a medical doctor who is closest to the community uh, of all the medical uh, disciplines. And this is a, a really privileged to be, a uh, privileged position to be in, for me anyway. Um, you know, patient, patients who care from us, we coordinate their care, we help them access specialised health care, allied non-GP specialists. We're very concerned about prevention of illness. Um, we as a group are very good at keeping patients out of hospitals and our emergency departments by working with communities and, and working uh, with, with patients in their community. But um, this is not uh, all we should do. We could do so much more. Primary health care is at its best when health care is collaborative and interdisciplinary. It can do much more than um, its systems and processes. Uh, in a system and process and meet patient and community expectation needs. You can only do this if you give the patient and community more power to direct the health services. We often use ter terms like community engagement, co-design and consumer voice, but I like to, uh, I like to use... Um, you know, I like to cut to the trace and use the word power. <laughs> um, now, there is, I guess I, I work mostly, as you mentioned, I work mostly... Uh, almost exclusively in uh, Aboriginal community control helpers. The Aboriginal community is almost is almost in complete control of their health service uh, in this setting. I say almost because it is government funding, uh, which is tied and directive uh, of outcomes. But how community achieves those outcomes is really up to the community. So ACTS, uh, which is which is the, <laughs> the how I say Aboriginal community control health services. Uh, emphasise the social and emotional well-being, the social and environmental determinants of health, and social safety, uh, cultural safety in healthcare delivery. Mm -hmm. Because uh, mm -hmm. actors expect these things, GPs, that's me, have to work towards these values. We mm -hmm. then need to look at tools and approaches that help us understand the social needs of the patient, not just their medical and psychological needs. Mm -hmm. We assess barriers to patient well-being by using and paying attention to social, cultural, and systemic issues that hinder their complete well-being. Um, you know, we, we often teach our GBs how to use the uh, holistic management framework uh, mm -hmm. to deal with chronic and complex presentation. There's an there's a interesting model uh, recently that is promoted by the Australian Society of Lifestyle Medicine, which uh, I'm currently the president of, and it's called Shared Medical Appointments. This model allows a small group of patients with similar health issues like diabetes to have an appointment together as a group. Patients uh, outnumber the GP in this regard. This really elevates the power differential in the patient in the patient's favour. Patients in the group feel culturally safe to ask questions, to scrutinise options uh, for care and the care that they receive and to hear relevant health information they never thought of asking but their peers have asked. Mm -hmm. you know, so 
It's mm-hmm. a really great environment. It's such a great model that it, that's taken up by health service that has a strong engagement with the community they serve. So share mm-hmm. medical appointments are facilitated by GPs and non-GP health professionals as well, such as a nurse or an Aboriginal health worker or, or an allied health professional. Mm-hmm. So it's a great, great thing to look, to look out for. Mm-hmm. The last thing I would say on this connection between community development and primary health care is that uh, I have also promoted to my registrars that they must leave their consultation room from time to time and engage with community and, mm-hmm. and, 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 not, and not just the patient, mm-hmm. not just the one-on-one. Yeah. I tried to develop their leadership uh, role as a GP, and we, we all have this. There, there's potentially many projects health professionals can do with the community, and we need to be humble and meet them on their own terms. Mm. I've done many of these projects in community, happy to share it later, um, to improve their, their engagement with their health and social well-being. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess the, the latest uh, is, uh, uh, is a video game we developed called Big the Lick, which means my place in uh, Wurundjeri uh, language. And it's a narrative-based game, and the, the stories were created by the community, uh, mm. old people and youth. The game tries to improve the community knowledge of health resources um, to attend uh, with their mental health and social isolation issue, but it's, it, it deals with these uh, matters in a fun and engaging way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of fun to do these projects when you you work with the community, mm-hmm. and it's a lot. Um, and <laughs> and luckily, we did get a lot of attention this year at the Games for Change Asia Specific Festival as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of tools that, uh, that you can use within the consultation, but obviously a lot of work can be done outside the consultation mm. with the community as well. We can only hope that many of the medical departments in our universities have been switching on to this program. <laughs> let's catch our breath a bit and let's listen to Let Love Rule by Archie Roach, whose uh, story of life was told so beautifully yesterday evening in a ceremony. overcomes us and we cannot find our way although we keep on searching for the light of day and we hear the children crying and we don't know what to do gotta hold on to each other and See us through Let love Let it guide us through the night That we may stay together And keep our spirits calm Only if the Will shine the morning light That will keep us safe from harm Oh, I cover up my ears So I cannot hear The 
voices of hate and the voices of fear. And I cover up my eyes. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial. 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we are talking about health again. I'm having a conversation with Hang Thi Nguyen, a general practitioner, talking about his community development approach to primary health and his medical cultural educational work. Hang also reminded us in the article you wrote in the journal about the social determinants of health, and you link them to the community development approach. Could you help our listeners and whoever is listening later with laying the connections and also link this with your educational practice? Yes, so just so that people are aware, social determinants of health are, are the non-medical factors that influence health outcomes. Um, broadly speaking, you can categorize social and environmental determinants of health the following category, you know, so, so access to quality care, you know, economic stability, so this is about employment and food security and housing security, education from childhood onwards, so we're looking at literacy and numeracy as well, social and community life, um, you know, discrimination, cognition in the workplace, that sort of stuff. And the physical environment is really important, so quality of the housing, which is housing, but quality, transportation, access to healthy foods, water supplies, etc. So you're going to have a sense, you know, just when I mention all these things, you're going to have a sense how all those things actually impact on health. It's not just about disease and illness. But the community, you know, when we talk about this, knows these issues intuitively and knows these things uh, for a long time. It's been unfortunate that healthcare has only really started to look at this in a more systematic way, um, uh, within the consultation, but also outside the consultation with the community. I just, to, to, to tie it together with community development, I'm just going to tell you a little story. Um, and this story is about the No Anemia for Kids project that we did in an Aboriginal community. Um, anemia in children under five is not a good thing. It is linked to poor physical and cognitive development. In this particular community, the prevalence rate was like 60%, and the average rate in the wider community, in the Australian community, is only 3%. So we are really, really um, high in this community. This is a huge difference. So part of the problem relates to nutrition, so women practices, iron deficiency, nutrition, malnutrition, and um, and it also is impacted by disease or chronic disease. So worm so infestation, chronic illness and infections, you know, like upper respiratory tract infection and diarrhoea. So our project focused on education about nutrition using a whole community approach. We reach all the clan groups. We to modify the only we modify the only general store to ensure iron rich foods was obvious and chosen. We went to the women's centre uh, and, and talked to the, the women, and we took them shopping uh, so that they know how to use uh, Western-style foods. Uh, we engage nutritionists to run cooking classes uh, uh, and, and talk about good nutrition with family uh, and, and with the children, uh, food that's good for children. We actually went to the aged care centre as well, and we engaged with the grandparents. 
um, because in Aboriginal community, grandparents are deeply involved in the care of the grandchildren. Mm-hmm. We went to the school, you know, often people only talk to the parents, you know, and it's very mm-hmm. unusual to talk to the grandparents, but if you know the culture, you, this is obvious. We went to the school and ran education program, of course, and the health centre had a role to play in, 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 in helping them with the health curriculum. Um, even the local band made a, a anemia song to communicate how important uh, reading of anemia mm. in kids is. So we brought the uh, we brought the anemia rate down by half. So mm-hmm. in six months, just mm-hmm. through awareness, just through mm-hmm. behaviour change, and just through educating family how to mm-hmm. use Western style mm-hmm. food yeah. at the general store, and it stayed that way. You know, at thirty percent for the next three years. Mm-hmm. But the question is from community is why does it not go down further? Mm-hmm. And I mentioned nutrition is part of the problem, but mm-hmm. the other side of the problem is worm infestation, and uh, and we, we manage that through a deworming program. Um, mm-hmm. um, but what we haven't seen during this period is the reduction in chronic infections mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. of children. And the cause of chronic infection in children, so to ears and skin and nose and throat, is social. It's mm-hmm. environmental. Of course. Overcrowding mm-hmm. is a huge issue in mm-hmm. Aboriginal communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it cannot be solved with medication. Mm-hmm. It can't be solved with education. It needs to be solved with uh, reducing this overcrowding issue. Mm-hmm. Overcrowding obviously leads to mental health issues too, rheumatic heart fever, family mm-hmm. violence, etc. So when people in the community ask me why we can't reduce the mineral rates further, I tell them this fact and try to help them to mobilise and demand mm-hmm. better housing. Mm-hmm. They already know this, of course. We are just reminding them of this mm-hmm. fact. Of course, yeah. So I use, I use stories like this often to teach, um, you know, registrars and students that come to me. Mm-hmm. And basically the story, uh, the, the main message is the community has agency they should be allowed to make mistakes and to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, these opportunities are learning for learning, for growth, for strengthening the local community. Yeah. The health yeah. professionals should be involved, but as guides or as mentors or as coaches, and not necessarily leaders. That's right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, the second thing I teach them is to avoid disempowering the community. It's mm-hmm. more, probably more important than just trying to empower them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we um, we use the Holy Management Framework again to mm-hmm. teach the students about the, the social, cultural, and systemic barriers. Yeah, we're rapidly running to the end of our thirty minutes. Where do you see opportunities for community development in healthcare, particularly in the broad community, not only the Aboriginal community, especially with regard to cultural differences and expectations across local communities. It would be great if you share some of your experiences there in the other context you have worked in and at the moment are also still working in. Yeah, look, I've been involved with um, um, some uh, structures in primary care Mm-hmm. Uh, and these trusts do provide opportunities to engage the community mm-hmm. uh, for healthcare and social care to collaborate for local communities to take the lead. Mm-hmm. And one of these um, uh, organisational structures, as I call them, are primary health networks. Mm-hmm. These are mm-hmm. sort of independent organisations. It is funded by the federal government. Um, and they have three main roles. They commission health services to meet the needs of people in their region, so they're local. Um, and they work closely with uh, GPs and other health professionals to build the capacity of the health uh, care workforce. 
Um, and they try to um, help integrate health services at the local level mm-hmm. to create a better experience for people, um, mm-hmm. encourage better use of health resources and eliminate service duplication. So that's, that's their role. And they, um, they, they often uh, uh, call for funding uh, to communities and uh, uh, you know, communities that collaborate with primary care um, and improves the capacity of communities for better health outcomes do very well. So mm-hmm. I think that that's a really good um, structure there that can be used by communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with um, you know uh, uh, with community health services as well. So this is obviously very similar to the average community control health organisation that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But this exists in a wider community. Victoria has a very strong tradition in providing primary. Healthcare this way, mm-hmm. um, and then you know the community health service works alongside general practice and other uh, privately funded services to engage with and respond to the needs of communities. So they have a, a key role in you know early intervention, preventative healthcare, and assisting people with chronic complex care. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole network you know in Victoria. It's very strong in Victoria. I'm not sure about the other states, but currently there's about 81 community health centres. So Lastly, to mention one tool that, that's you know, taking traction at the moment in Australia. Um, it, it's quite well established in the UK. It's called social prescribing. Oh, social yeah. prescribing is a model of care that engages you know, health professionals and other primary care professionals to refer patients to a range of local, mm-hmm. non-clinical services offered by community-based organisations uh-huh. to support their health and well-being. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's a really, uh, really important thing. Mm-hmm. Social prescribing is built on decades of community, voluntary and social enterprise uh, sector mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been doing this for ages, right? Yeah, it's now yeah. we, we're systematically looking at this and for GPs to actually refer people to this, not just to specialists and to medical care, but to mm. actually social care mm. um, to address the social challenges that yeah, community yeah. experience. Mm. It, it will have a huge impact on the health and wellbeing yeah, community. I would say so, yeah. As per usual, the end of our half hour together has been arriving way too fast. So much more to ponder and reflect and learn about. Thank you, for, thank you, Hank, for joining me and our listeners and share your thoughts about an approach to health, especially primary health care, which should be deliberately reintroduced in our arsenal of health and wellness interventions and prevention approaches. And I will put some relevant links on, on our 3CR webpage, and I hope that you, Hank, could forward me a couple of those. So in terms of... Uh, Thank you so much, Hung, for joining us, and uh, I hope that this particular particular program will also be able to alert to the necessities of uh, linking community with health yet again. A few uh, community service announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, the New Community Journal. Uh, if you are interested in that issue, do give us a call or uh, send us an email. Tomorrow, uh, 3CR has a pop-up shop, so wanting to flog off all of their uh, 
goodies from uh, discs to uh, shirts, whatever. They probably are not selling their electronic gear. And happy everything to all of you for the end of year and for the beginning of years. We will uh, have some repeat programs for the next two weeks and uh, we'll be back early January. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with me, Jacques, and this week with Han Ting Nguyen. If you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, email borderlandsborders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast via your preferred podcast app and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Stay tuned now for the following program, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and, f- and friends. And to bring us into this program, we have Milky Mana by King Stingray. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.